It's like the feminism entered his body and made him good at hockey. If you're here for hard-hitting hockey analysis, you want some stats, you want, I don't even really know what those guys do, you want numbers, then this is the podcast for you because we are the most serious girl bosses in hockey. Welcome to the Samalican Life. I'm Poppy. And I'm Vieta. And this is the podcast that nobody asked for, but everybody needs. As always, before beginning the episode, we would like to acknowledge that this podcast is written and recorded on unceded and unsurrendered Mi'kmaq territory. To support your local Indigenous community, please consider donating to organizations who are providing essential care. Examples, if you are living in Ottawa, are the Adawa Native Friendship Center, Wabano, and Minwashin Lodge. And we have links to all of those places in our Twitter bio now, because I made us a link tree, which is very exciting. Hell Yeah. Okay, so let's start with a really important question, which is what are we drinking today? I am drinking some coffee out of my brand new This and Melnick in Life mug. That's amazing. I'm also drinking lukewarm coffee. Uh, <laughs> I was thinking about putting some ice in it and pretending that it's iced coffee, but uh, I was being lazy, so it's lukewarm now. Um, That's fine. Speaking of your amazing mug, <laughs> Uh, we finally have a merch store that's live, which is exciting. It's in our Twitter bio. And um, if you look up like this and Melanie can life on Spreadshirt, you'll also probably find it. I hope. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you to everyone who's bought our merch. It's been super cool to see everybody's pictures with their merch. A whole bunch of mine arrived and not to like you know, spawn my own shop here. But honestly, I'm so glad we chose a Spreadshirt because all of their stuff is so comfortable. We were both talking about like how much we love our shirts. I'm wearing my Zoop shirt right now. It's very exciting. So if you would like any of our merch, please go check out our shop. Yeah, it's so good. And we'll like link it in the podcast description as well. Yeah, we'll put the link tree thing and we have all those links there. And then the second thing of housekeeping before we get into the show, into the show is um, we usually say at the end of the episode that it would be great if you could rate our reviews on iTunes. And nobody rate- does it. Yeah, except for one guy who is mean to us. So um, as an incentive to our loyal fans, I um, basically, I, I had this <laughs> really stupid idea and I made fridge magnets and it's gritty and spot a cat. They, I, I drew them in paint. They look beautiful. Um, they're amazing magnets. They're like tiny. They're like they're pretty cute. They're like cute little magnets. Um, it says "Lovable Terrors Apart." Gritty and Spartacat are like looking kind of cool. <laughs> I don't know how to describe it, but I'll put it on the. They look great. They look they look kind of cool and edgy. Spartacat has a nose ring. So um, I will also post a picture of that on um, Twitter. And basically what we're going to do is if you rate and review us on iTunes, take a screenshot of that and send either an email to thisamelnikinlife at gmail.com or DM us on Twitter at amelnikinlife and just send me your address and I will send you a little magnet in the mail just for you. Sounds like a great deal. You don't even have to spend money. You just have to rate and review us on iTunes. It doesn't take long. 
yeah and you get this priceless piece of art that I made like during a long weekend (laughs) it's an incredible piece of art um anyways moving on to the actual episode today is the day before the NHL trade deadline and we will not be discussing the NHL trade deadline if you are looking for that type of hard-hitting analysis I'm afraid to tell you that this is not you are not in the right place (laughs) wait I just said this was the right place. I fucked up. Um, sorry, you were talking about the cost per point cast. Um, the Silver 7 show is actually the right place to be. This American Life, however, is a show that records an episode the day before the NHL trade deadline to go live during the trade deadline. So we're not really going to give you that trade deadline breakdown. We're actually going to take a slightly different approach in this episode. And we're going to talk a little bit more about um, hockey culture and about some stuff that's been happening in women's hockey recently because this is some stuff that we would really like to cover we've been wanting to talk about for a long time uh before that we can discuss a few little things that we felt like discussing regarding the sends obviously starting to get the suspicion that they're probably not going to make the playoffs uh they did lose their entire season series to the oilers sucks for tim stutzla it was not that much fun, but you know, they've occasionally beat the Hubs and Leafs. I, I mean, no, it's been very fun. I've been enjoying it's been, it. Yeah, I was about to say, it's been like a good season of losing almost everything except for when it matters to mm-hmm. us as fans and haters. So, And like, considering how often they've been losing, I have been having so much fun. It's been yeah. a great season. I, yeah, last night they lost to the Leafs, but man, it was a fun game. And it, I also like how like, we're so bad at this point that like, you can't chirp us. Like, if we beat you, it's like you just lost to the 2021 Ottawa Senators. If you barely beat us like the Leafs did last night, it's like, how did it take you so much effort to beat us? Like, you almost lost to us. That's almost as embarrassing as losing. And then if you win by a lot, lot, it's like, why are you proud of this? Who cares if you beat the Ottawa Senators? Um, So anyways, I've been enjoying that a lot. It's been a great season for memes, and I appreciate Mm -hmm. that. Definitely. Also, we've had a lot of young goalies come in and they are precious and wonderful and need to be protected. And I'm really sorry to Matt Murray, but I just, I've never liked him since 2017. And I was angry (laughs) when it looked like the Sens were going to keep playing him. I know they don't really have another option, but I wanted the young players to keep playing. I wanted the different goalie every night. Not that I wanted goalies to get injured, but I was having fun with that. I think it's um, fun to mix it up by just putting like a different guy in the net re- regularly. I mean, as I keep saying, like, you know, keep us on our toes. <laughs> it's been fun. Also, Connor Brown, as of last night, is officially the owner of the longest goal scoring streak in Suns history, which, of course, everybody predicted. Um, totally expected, you know, not going to be a weird bit of trivia that like stumps people for me- for years to come. <laughs> And like, I don't even know how to say this without sounding mean, because I think Connor Brown is a cutie and he's great. But he did have probably, when they took those pictures of the team this year, and they did it with like a fisheye, with like a wide angle lens, and everybody like looks awful. Mm -hmm. But Connor Brown really got the worst photo (laughs) of the bunch. And I think he's, I think he's an icon and a king for like, doing really well and also um it's been like fun for people to post that picture and be like this is yeah like one of the best guys on our team (laughs) it's also been fun because he's kind of taken over from 
uh, Eric Condra as like the guy who goes on breakaways and you're just like, oh, okay, time to go, <laughs> time to go to the washroom. Like this ain't happening, <laughs> you know, like he's mm. obviously going to miss the net. Um, and so it's kind of funny that it, I guess he just had really bad luck for a while. And then suddenly his luck has turned around. Goal scorers are like that. They're so streaky. I remember Mike Hoffman was always like that too, where it's like, he would just go on a tear and then like be in a huge slump for a while. But anyways, it's nice that he's on a tear right now. I would thank, I would like to thank the witch who put a spell on Connor Brown. Mm-hmm. Thanks for your service. <laughs> thank you for making sure that we still have not been shut out this season. Yeah, um, exactly. We came, we came a little bit close a few times, but it's nice that we, at least, you know, you can't say much about this year's senators, but at least they've never been shut out, you know, and at least they're having fun. Also, the thing that everybody has been talking about lately is the North Dakota Sens are all on their way. I am so excited. I can't believe that we have so many prospects joining the team right now. Like it feels like too much. Like I love it when you guys, when young guys join the team, I don't usually pay that much attention to like the prospects when they're in the minors, but once they join the NHL, I'm like extremely hyped about it. So this has been a great season for me and it almost feels like, you know, it's too much to have even more young players coming in like I've already you know had such a great time with these ones and it feels like there's no way we deserve this much great stuff but I'm excited I think it's really enjoyable it's like kind of fun to actually have good prospects like um that's kind of swag of us it is I hate that I just said that but you know what I mean like it's it's like I loved when like a bunch of people on sense twitter at some point, I guess, just decided to watch a North Dakota game. Well, it's not even just one game. Like, they keep doing this. They're always like, yeah, no Dak Sens are playing. And I'm like, I I don't know what the North Dakota Sens are, but, you know, good for them. I will enjoy those players when they come to the NHL. Yeah, I'm, like, excited. Um, I'm sad that Christian Bolanen was put on waivers because that could have, like, he could have been, like, because he was in North Dakota, right? I think so. He could have been like, it's going to be really embarrassing if it's not true, but it would have been like kind of cute of them to be like, oh, another North Dakota alumni. I don't know. Maybe we should all start wearing like, wait, does North Dakota have like really bad jerseys or something? Is that like something problematic? (laughs) No, I don't think they're problematic. Okay, good. Because it would be kind of funny if people showed up to games in like North Dakota jerseys. (laughs) It would be funny. Yeah, we even made the cover of the Hockey News um, with all of Mark Stone's tenants, plus Drake Batherson, who's sort of a, an honorary Mark Stone tenant. I still kind of wish that Zub had been there because he's too. also one of the young guys, but I guess he's too old. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, it was, doesn't speak English notoriously. So. <laughs> very true. I mean, do you need to speak English just posed to be on the cover of something, right? Like, I don't think he would need to be interviewed in that. Um, okay, yeah, and like it's it's nice to see the rest of the league kind of taking notice of the Sens. It's like, oh yeah, they do have a bunch of prospects. Like somehow that stuff they did over the last few years, somehow it worked, <laughs> or at least it looks like it's working because they've got some great prospects. Melnick also gave us a fantastic quote in that same article, which is, "We are going to be a consistent winner. We are going to be very proud to say I am from Ottawa, the home of the Ottawa Senators. I personally." love the idea that I'm going to be traveling around, meeting people in new cities, being like, I'm from Ottawa, you know, the home of those Ottawa Senators, right? Famous hockey team. I think it's going to be sick because usually now people will be like, 
oh where did you live in Canada and I'll be like oh I lived in like the capital and they'll be like Vancouver Toronto I can be like no no Ottawa the home of the Ottawa senators I no longer have to say I lived in the capital I can just say I lived in the home of the Ottawa senators it's gonna I mean they know Tim Stutzla now right so I feel like that works yeah Yeah, see I got that too while I was traveling I'd say I'm from Canada they're like oh Toronto and I'm like yeah no (laughs) close but not quite and of course now because they're going to be world famous I will of course be able to say the home of the Ottawa senators I mean, I'm not going to lie. When I was like 15, I thought the capital of actually literally I was in um, this like thing when I before I was an exchange student, we had to go to these like, I don't know, you had to go like to a little meeting where you learned about Canada, which ends up being quite helpful because when I came, they were like, okay, what's the capital of Canada? And I was like, Vancouver. And everybody was like, Vancouver or Toronto? (laughs) <laughs> uh, we love we love Ottawa anyways even if nobody else knows about it um oh, I'm and to be fair to be fair when I was a kid I mostly knew cities because they had hockey teams so there is some truth to that maybe maybe it'll be a thing maybe the Ottawa Senators will will really put Ottawa on the map yeah anyways so. we also wanted to give a shout out to our boy Igor Sokolov who respects women and also scores a lot of goals on International Women's Day, he tweeted, Happy International Women's Day to all the beautiful ladies out there, which is my favorite tweet of all time. He tweeted it and then he immediately, like, basically the game afterwards immediately went on to, like, dominate. Yeah, he did he like, get a hat trick or something? He's gotten a few hat tricks recently. And yeah, it was like, wow, this is what happens when you respect women. It's like the feminism entered his body and made him good at hockey. Right? It did. And I can't wait for him to come to the NHL and continue to do feminism. Igor Sokolov is like a really charming player in that every single time you see his name in like a tweet or a story, you know it's going to be adorable. Like he's such a sweetie. He really is. I mean, he's like, he's he's just like so charming. His relationship with like his, um, what do you call the hockey families you can stay with when you're a player from? Billet family? Yeah, his like relationship with his Billet family and his Billet sister in particular is <laughs> fucking adorable. Like he's so lovely. He wore a pink suit to the draft. <laughs> Icon and a king. He looked great. He's just like he always is like sharing like I, he's always sharing like other guys that he played in like the minor leagues and, and stuff when they like play a game where they score a lot of goals or whatever. He's always like sharing it on Instagram or like whatever he's just so sweet he seems like someone who's just like amazing to have on your team didn't he Um, also interact with Bossy on Twitter at some point he did he was really confused about Bossy being like I'll buy you (laughs) (laughs) he just seems so delightful I'm really I'm I'm like really excited about the prospects but I'm Mm -hmm. specifically excited about him and it's so nice when like a guy is like obviously really good at hockey I mean you never know what it's going to be like when guys sort of go over into the NHL but you know he's like clearly very good it's so delightful when somebody's like really good at hockey like a really exciting prospect but also just like I don't know like an adorable bear like personified yeah it's just he's such a sweetie I like him a lot it's delightful also did you see that um Evgeny Dadanov interview a few games ago where he was like yeah Brady Kachuk he's like energy boy (laughs) That's so cute. I'll have to find it and send it to you. It was so cute. I'm, I'm now calling Brady Kachuk energy boy from now on. I just think it's, I, I don't know. I think the young guys are like actually adding a lot of personality to the mm-hmm. team, which is just really adorable. 
Um, and I don't, it just makes it so much more fun to cheer for a team. I think we like mm-hmm. have talked a lot about how men's hockey doesn't have a lot of personalities and we're kind of starved for it. So just having like a bunch of guys who are just really nice to each other it, it, in itself makes such a difference. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. And we were talking before this about how uh, Mark Stone's boys are getting a bit popular on hockey fanfic Twitter. Yeah. Uh, the hockey <laughs> fanfic community which is pretty you know what it's awesome it's a sign of a really fun team when the hockey fanfic community is interested in you uh, <laughs> I'm not gonna read a single one <laughs> me neither but you know what I I appreciate that you know we are now known outside of just Sen's Twitter it's pretty cool I think what this shows to me is that basically fanfic like Brady Kachuk um, Josh Norris and Tim Stutzler living in the same house is doing more to grow the game. Exactly. <laughs> and and specifically the Ottawa Senators. Like, the Sens have been in, like, this PR disaster for so long. They've been losing fans. You know, it's not easy to, like, win back a fan base after mm. what they did. And, like, to their credit, they've done an amazing job of winning back their fan base. And they're also gaining new fans by having three of their young players live in Mark Stone's house for at least a year. Oh my God, they better keep living there. If they, if one of them moves out, I will be so upset. I loved when Brady Kajak's girlfriend works for like some kind of, I don't know, fashion brand or whatever. Mm-hmm. And all the guys who live in the house suddenly had like a promo code yeah. for that brand. It's just the shit I love, man. It's so funny. I was already saying, like, if one of them had a partner who was in, like, a multi-level marketing scheme, (laughs) they would just fucking dominate. Like, that person would be... (laughs) That person would be doing, like, girl boss, like, raking it in. (laughs) Oh, my God. I love that so much. I think that's such a funny, like, idea to have. Like, imagine if... You know, like, imagine if... I don't know. Say Josh Norris dates someone... And she's in like an MLM and he posts something to support her or whatever. And like, I would be mocking him so much. That would be such good material. But it would be really funny because like, they'd be like, well, we did like the promo code for Brady's girlfriend who like, as far as I know, it's like a legit business. It's not an MLM. It's like a legit. Just to be clear. But they'd be like, well, we supported her business venture. So now we have to support her business venture too. (laughs) Otherwise, I'm like, I'm writing fanfic specifically about the idea of a hockey, like, of like a hockey girlfriend joining an MLM and then using her connections to sell like essential oils or some shit. It would be so funny. It would be so funny. It would combine my two favorite things, which is hockey and chaotic MLM stories. Be amazing. Um, well, you know, this is just an idea for anyone who might be looking to become a girl boss and, you know, get into an yeah. MLM. If you want to date a hockey player, this could be a really cool business venture. I feel like mm, this is the definition of girl bossing, Beata. This is oh, oh, are we segueing <laughs> the topic of <laughs> this week's episode, which is uh, Gaslight Gatekeep Girl Boss? Um, <laughs> God, I love that. Sorry, I had to I, I love that. It's a Tumblr meme. Um, the three Gs. It's not just Tumblr. <laughs> the three Gs: Gaslight, Gatekeep, and Girl Boss. <laughs> so, as I said at the beginning, we wanted to 
spend this episode talking about some of the stuff that's been happening with the NWHL. First, we're going to talk specifically about the Digit Murphy situation. And then afterwards, we're going to talk more broadly about like NWHL culture, just because like that's something that we've been wanting to talk about for a while. So I'm going to give kind of an overview of what has been happening with Digit Murphy. I have received recently quite a lot of DMs and quite a lot of requests on Twitter for me to explain this situation to people. And I'm really sorry if I didn't respond to your DM. There were just a lot of them. And I'm going to explain it here. I'm also going to um, preface this with neither Poppy nor I are, are trans and a big problem with this issue, with a specific thing that is happening. And we're going to talk about this more later, but a big problem with this is the fact that this conversation is being completely dominated by cis people. So I'm going to leave a bunch of links to like trans journalists who have written about this, who can explain this so much better than I can. And please, if you're like forming an opinion about this topic, like don't just trust me, please trust those writers. And I hope that I'm going to be summarizing and analyzing this in an appropriate way. And if I make any mistakes, please do not hesitate to let me know. And I, I hope that I have done enough research to, to cover this appropriately. So anyways, basically recently came out that Digit Murphy is listed as a supporter of an organization called the Women's Sports Policy Working Group. And if you look at this working group's website, basically they're trying to, and I spent like a few hours on their website trying to figure out everything that they're, <laughs> that they're campaigning for, and it's very bad. Um, they're trying to present themselves as a like pro-trans rights organization. Um, they're saying that they're trying to find kind of a way to include trans athletes in women's sports. This is the narrative that they're pushing on their front page and their about us section. Um, they're saying we're trying to kind of find a middle ground between unconditional inclusion of trans athletes and unconditional exclusion of trans athletes, um, which there are already issues with that. Unconditional inclusion is not a really big problem. I mean, it's not like a, a danger to women's sports. Um, framing it as like, oh, we, we can't let things go too far is bad enough. But they're presenting themselves as like, yes, we're just trying to include trans athletes. However, I looked at their policy recommendations and their information that they had on their website. And it is, there is way more about excluding trans athletes than there is about including them. They literally do have a section where they say that covered entities may restrict eligibility for the female sport category only to females if any male sex-based differences would have a negative impact on the right of females to achieve equality of athletic opportunity. So literally they're saying, if I understand correctly, that um, sports organizations should have the ability to just discriminate against any trans athletes for any reason, um, <laughs> if they feel that it's like a threat to women's sports. They're basically suggesting that women who have been through male puberty and are not on hormone replacement therapy should be excluded from all head-to-head -head competition and those who are on hormone replacement ther uh, therapy should be included, but only under very, very specific circumstances. So they're laying out like really, really narrow circumstances under which trans athletes could be included in women's sports and presenting that as an appropriate solution when really it's extremely restrictive. Um, and they do specify that their proposed policies are only for competitive sports, so not for minor sports or for recreational sports. The kind of question that I asked there that I wrote down in our notes is, I don't know how they think that's going to work. It's obviously going to seep down into other levels. Like I'm trying to imagine yeah. like, yes, you can, you know, you can play girls sports growing up. Right. And, you know, go through girls sports, but as soon as you try to make money, oh no, you got to go into men's sports. Right. Uh, yeah. 
Yeah, that doesn't make any sense at all. Like, imagine you go through your entire basically athletic career until your late teens playing Mm -hmm. in women's sports and like as a female athlete. But then the second you hit like, I guess, 19, what you have to get drafted into the NHL. Yeah, that's not gonna work. And like, we already know that the resources are so different. And like, you know, anyways, they're already acknowledging like so much of this is framed around this imaginary threat of like, oh, girls and women are going to feel uncomfortable if there are people in the locker room who, you know, supposedly don't belong there. And it's like, you're not even considering the feeling of the trans athletes who are going to be excluded from this, who are going to be forced to play with people that they're not comfortable with. I think it's it's also like, just to um, point out, um, I I was going to address this like a little bit later as well, but it's also like a very narrow and not full understanding of like, the quote-unquote biological differences Mm -hmm. according to the sex that you're born with that sort of like implies that anyone who has higher levels of testosterone has to be better at sports Mm -hmm. and also ignores the fact that there are like cis women who have higher levels of testosterone. Mm -hmm. The sex you're born with does not always, you know, equal your hormone household, first of all. Like it doesn't Mm -hmm. immediately imply like what your hormones are going to be like. And also there's so much, and this is like a huge thing that comes up in the situations and there's not tons of research, but in the cases where researchers have actually looked into like sort of the biological differences and like, would it be quote unquote fair to involve trans athletes in competitive sports? There's so much outside of your hormones that is important to how well you do in sports. And also according to the sport is like different, like I don't know if you're doing like fast running it's better if you're like a more petite person or like in gymnastics for example whereas in other sports I guess like basketball you know you're gonna you know like taller athletes usually do better but there are short men and tall women like there's no (laughs) direct link between the two and so there's so many factors that go into your athletic ability on top of like obviously like outside circumstances uh, you know, what I have, what do you have access to? How well is your sports program funded, et cetera, et cetera. That this, you know, splitting athletes specifically by their biological sex just does not work. And is also just not scientifically proven. But, you know, we love a bit of fear mongering. <laughs> yeah, it was, yeah. And like, I, I had that written down as well. Like it was a lot of fear mongering, a lot of the resources that I looked through, like I I clicked through their sources because I didn't want to misrepresent this organization. And like a lot of it was not accurate um, and they were not painting a full picture. They were greatly exaggerating the quote unquote like danger of um, trans inclusive policies in women's sports. So yeah, one quote that I found on the website that was like, okay, you've just like given this all away like this is extremely transphobic language is that at one point they refer to trans men as and I quote females who identify as boys and men and that's one of the only references they make to trans men everything else is just like really really gross fear-mongering about trans women and yeah just a lot of their the information that they had was really inaccurate really misleading and it was presented in a way that made it seem like a legitimate academic thing, which is pretty common with these types of organizations. And yeah, I would definitely caution our listeners against believing that kind of stuff. I hope that this has been sort of a lesson in recognizing these types of transphobic dog whistles, because a lot of it is often couched in like academic language. 
And again, we're going to have sources that go into this in more detail. Um, but yeah, generally the fear mongering about trans athletes, it just doesn't make sense. It isn't accurate. This claim that there's this strict binary where people who've been through male puberty are automatically going to be so much better at sports is just not true. Statistically, trans athletes underperform in sports and this type of rhetoric makes it so that as you know, one of the articles that I'm going to share talked about, Caitlin Burns talked about it in this article, a lot of trans athletes feel like they can't succeed because it, it isn't taken as like a victory. It's taken as proof that trans athletes shouldn't be in sports, right? Because if you're, if you're doing well, then that's proof that it's somehow unfair. So it puts these athletes in a really, really difficult situation. And yeah, it's just, it's nothing but transphobia. And generally, I also just want to say that like, aggressively policing your athletes bodies is not good don't do that like I know that they're trying to couch this in science saying like oh yeah you know if people have these hormones it'll be fine and you know if they've gone through this puberty then it's fine and you know if they've done all of these things then they can compete or if they haven't done these things then they can compete and like transition related medical care is extremely personal and whether or not somebody decides to go through that is none of your business, even in sports. Like a few years ago, um, I know that the, like Harrison Brown was not allowed to go on testosterone as long as he was playing in the NWHL. And I have no idea what Harrison Brown wanted to do. That is none of my business, but he did not make that decision. It was the NWHL that made that decision for him. And that is not a decision that should be in the hands of anybody except the people concerned. There are tons of reasons why athletes might not want to go on hormones while they're competing in professional sports. And also for a lot of athletes, this isn't like a question of athletic ability. This is a question of life and death, right? Like this is an extremely personal decision and the NWHL or any kinds of sports and entity does not have the right to decide that for other people. And that's like really the thing that I want people to take away from this. I think that's such a like important point. And I also wanted to um, like just share as sort of a fallout of this news, mm -hmm. um, Jessica Platt, who is a trans athlete mm -hmm. who used to play in the CWHL, um, actually tweeted after she saw this that uh, when she heard that um, Toronto didn't have a full roster, she contacted their GM and asked if she could play. And they basically said like, oh yeah, um, you know, we'll check with like the coach and whatever and we'll get back to you. And she was rejected. And at the time she thought, well, maybe it's because, you know, I've been sort of a mediocre player in the past. So she thought it was related to skill. And basically now we're saying that now she doesn't know if it's related to her skill or related to like the fact that she's a trans woman, which is so heartbreaking, especially for someone who's been a professional women's hockey player in the past. Um, to think that you're being now, you know, somebody who is experienced to be, to think that you're now being shut out of the opportunity to play professionally again. Yeah, definitely. And like, I mean, looking at this, I think there are two possibilities in terms of why Digit Murphy was involved in this organization. The first is that she genuinely, you know, does believe all of these things. And in that case, it's really worrying and upsetting, right? Like, yeah, like that kind of person is not a person that you want around your hockey team, especially in a league that's trying to be trans inclusive, as the statements that they put out later shows, where the other option is that she, like, it's entirely possible, I think, that she just straight up didn't do her research into this organization, or 
you know, is just really uneducated about this. But in that case, that's also a really big problem that she's going to need to apologize for because, like, at this point, there's no excuse for being that ignorant about it, right? Like, or, well, she shouldn't have put her name behind one of these organizations. Like, she's listed as one of their supporters on their website, right? She shouldn't have publicly supported this organization if she wasn't super well educated on this topic. And again, I'm coming back to the point that, like, transphobia is so mainstream and this type of rhetoric is like so common in the media and there's so much misinformation going around and again I'm just like urging people to please actually like read the work of trans journalists who are talking about this stuff. I think that's a good point as well like it's completely possible that Digit Murthy like literally didn't know better which is still her Mm -hmm. fault I don't think I would put my, you know, weight behind an organization without reading the website or whatever. But I also think that these conversations, oftentimes there is this like fear that basically women's sports could, I don't know, the idea that women's sports could be dominated by trans women um, and that it would somehow disadvantage cis women to be inclusive. Um, And that is literally just a complete misunderstanding Mm -hmm. (laughs) of like the actual science behind it and also you know there isn't that much research into it it's also very difficult to research just because of how varied you know like hormones are among Mm -hmm. among athletes uh and and among like women regardless of whether they're cis or trans Mm -hmm. um and so it, it makes it sort of like this thing where like you can't research it very well because so much of your athletic ability is not just down to your hormones. And you also like don't have a lot of research in it. And then you have the added thing of being like, oh, I want to support women in sports. I want to make sure that they have this like fair, you know, environment that they're in. But this is like such a classic thing of like, and this has happened in women's liberation throughout history where you basically throw marginalized groups under the bus in an attempt to like advance the position of women or whatever and it's just like super unproductive it's not helpful and it just cycles oppression within what's supposed to be women's liberation we're basically just like copying oppressive structures within quote-unquote feminist discourse and that's just like such a you know (laughs) shit intersection (laughs) and something that where we we need to do better like we really need to do better and that's why I think it's like important for us us to do this like actually have a full episode where we talk about this topic that we've sort of like skirted a few times you know yeah and like we'll talk about this more in the next section as well but like this idea of excluding people under the guise of protecting women and girls this has a very, very long history um, with white women being seen as like in need of protection and that being weaponized against people of color, against gay people, now against trans people. Like this is a very, very like pervasive thing. This has occurred throughout history. And yeah, it, it kind of gets um, couched in women's women's liberation right like oh we need to protect the women and girls we need to like um defend them we need to make sure that they're doing well and they're not being you know victimized by all of these people and it often gets weaponized against marginalized groups so we should be careful of that as well 
Yeah, totally. So um, just to like get to how the NWHL and the Toronto Six specifically responded. So basically what happened is that the statement was put out by like every single team in the NWHL, aside from the Toronto Six, who, you know, had to, I guess, handle it separately. And it literally is like copy paste, you know, name of team, are proud of our trans family members, which is the first part where I'm like, none of these teams have trans athletes on the roster as far as I know I'm I'm not aware of like how many people um who are not cis are like involved in in the background so I I don't want to speak on that but we will always work to be we will always work to be stronger members and allies okay members of what (laughs) but okay (laughs) to change systems it's like (laughs) to change systems that exclude our non-binary fans okay um and work with organizations locally to fight for our lgbtqia plus community um like it's (laughs) it's so vague i don't even like know like the sentence is chaos like i read it and i was like am i dumb like do i do i not know how to read a statement but it's just so vague and i I don't know what half of this is coming from coming from and then we believe strongly that trans rights are human rights okay we'll prove it and we'll continue to keep the pro- the name of team a safe and inclusive space for all. Okay, so it's a it's great to like promise that you're not going to be transphobic. That's like, you know, sick. But there's no specific actionable like promises. There's no okay, we're going to do this. There's no the, the the like second sentence in the statement is so vague that I literally do not know yeah. what some of it means. Like, okay, so you're going to be strong allies. And, mm-hmm. like, like, what are you going to do? Um, and, yeah, it's every single... And that's the other thing, right? Like, every team put their statement out. It was not customized, aside mm-hmm. from putting in the name of the team, um, which is, like, such a bad look yeah. when it's not... When it's such a vague and, like, not very good statement to then just, like, post it. Like, it's so half-assed. And then... I did actually call this. Um, I said the six were going to post this. And in their latest statement, it was like a longer statement. But at the very end of the statement, they also <laughs> copy pasted this. It's like yeah. ridiculous. So but anyway, that's what that's what all the other teams put out, right? Yeah, which is like, you know, at least they addressed it in some way. But they could have said a lot more than that. And they did not address the actual problem. Um, the Toronto Six, for their part, first, they, they announced that they were quote-unquote, advancing the conversation by having Brianne Binker on the podcast. I can't find a lot about that person, but the fact that they were framing this as, like, a conversation, oh, let's have a reasonable debate about whether or not trans people should be allowed to compete in the NWHL, like, that's a problem. Like, I'm sorry, that's not a debate that you should be having right now. You should be, like, actually learning yeah it's also such a like it's kind of evil because Brianne Binker herself is um a trans woman and she's an NCAA coach and to be like oh we're gonna have this conversation this podcast conversation between Digit Murphy who's like put her name behind this like Mm -hmm. you know calling itself like inclusive but when it boils down to it like just you know fluffed up transphobia organization and this trans woman who then I don't know what is supposed to like defend herself mm-hmm. or well, or is supposed to you know it's like obviously trans people need to be included in these conversations 
but it's also I, I I feel like it could go both ways it could go really well and be like really educational mm-hmm. or whatever but you're also putting like a trans woman in the position where they potentially have to you know like defend themselves um mm-hmm. against a trans you know, defend a whole community of people. Um, like, and there's so much disagreement within that community too, right? Like, it's not that, like there's one ideology. There are trans people who were also on the list of supporters of that organization, right? Like, and mm-hmm. to put one person in the position of defending that whole thing. And even like, you know, all of the like fans who are trans who are gonna have to listen to this like clearly uneducated about trans like this cis woman who's clearly very uneducated about this topic work through her own biases and like you know go through that process of listening and learning publicly like that's a shitty thing to put your fans through I think it's you know it's one of those things where like that could work as a part of you know a long sort of um or not a longer but as a like multiple steps sort of way of dealing with the issue Mm -hmm. you could say okay we also want to have this conversation and we want to be transparent about it I think that's great but at the time they literally they did not admit to any fault first of all they did not say oh this is not something that represents our team like this was like not that there was no you know oh we fucked up it was Mm -hmm. like we're going to have this conversation we're not going to address it Mm -hmm we're going to have this conversation and advance this we're going to advance this like conversation oh, this is no, an interesting topic of debate right there's no you know there's no transparency really when you say oh when you don't say oh we're doing this because we fucked up mm-hmm. you know what I mean like that's the first start on the other hand like I don't want to say you know I don't want to it's always so tricky with these things because I don't want to say oh this is all bad because mm-hmm. it's not we should be pulling, you know, like we should be having more conversations with trans people about the experience of being a trans person in sport, um, which, you know, we keep saying, but mm-hmm. as I said, like it, it, it was sort of just like put out there without any context and without any acknowledgement of the situation. Mm-hmm. And then it, and then the Twitter account liked this like tweet that was like, oh, good for you. Like Digit Mafia is great. Good for you for not bowing down to the quote unquote alphabet mob. Which, like, the alphabet mob is the LGBTQ. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh, man, that's such a bad look. They didn't like it again, but, you know, like, bad vibes. Yeah. And, like, to their credit, they did address that in the statement that they put out later that was a little bit more comprehensive. Um, in that statement, they also said that trans women belong specifically in the NWHL, and they said that Digit Murphy is distancing herself from the organization, um, which is, like, that's good. That's more than I expected from them. I'm glad they did that, but one, you're saying that trans women belong in the NWHL, and yet their, like, transphobic policies are still in place, so it's kind of like, okay, but, like, under what conditions, like, are do they or do they not um because your policies are saying something else and then also like well for another they said that digit murphy is distancing herself from the organization but she's still on their website so i'm waiting for that to go away but also like i really do think that digit murphy needs to address this directly like we need to know if she actually agrees with this organization or not you know like did she make a mistake and you know mess up by aligning herself with an organization that she now understands is bad does she actually believe this like I don't know yeah and it's also it's just like you know I don't know I also want to say like 
especially with you know sort of like underfunded organizations it can take a, it can take a little time sometimes mm-hmm. to put out a professional statement or whatever but this took almost a week mm-hmm. you know that's pretty bad and it not just took only a week but at first they put out this like tweet about the podcast then they put out like another one where they were like digit murphy discusses mental health on this podcast <laughs> yeah like- exactly and it was completely unrelated it's like read the room my dudes <laughs> Yeah, it's like, you know, back up that content, you know, play it in a month. <laughs> Pull this amount like in line, just be quiet for a month. <laughs> uh, like, you know, just, I think the way that it was handled was not done very well. And I think that's sort of upsetting. And also, you know, like the NWHL has such a huge LGBTQ fan base. You really don't, you know, you really don't want to be looking bad. <laughs> It was like, like, you know, you want to be a little bit more sensitive to these things. And also like my final thought kind of about this is this wasn't, I mean, it was sort of breaking news because somebody actually saw it online and like posted it on Twitter. Right. Mm -hmm. But she must have associated with this organization for a longer period of time. And again, I understand like when there's not tons of funding that maybe you don't have the time to like thoroughly, you know, vet someone and, and be super prepared for any controversy that could happen, we could be a little prepared for this. Yeah. <laughs> like there, there's some things where, you know, it, it's also not for us to say what is good enough and what isn't. Um, the NWHL did say that they're going to be reviewing their policies. Great. You know, it's just a shame that it came to this. And it always sucks when you see that like, somebody has to basically like call them out and be like this is not okay for for things to be moved forward and, yeah, and you know it's just like it, it's it just like blows <laughs> yeah. but you know like I'm, I'm hoping for some progress to be made here and uh I think a nice thing I guess about the NWHL fan base is that this is something that will affect a lot of the fan base and also something that the fan base cares about so there is mm-hmm. like consistent pressure as opposed to maybe other organizations where where that isn't the case and and so hopefully that'll help a little bit but you know it it's always difficult when you don't know what the internal power structure is like and and what is being prioritized internally definitely great Um, so i think we're gonna like okay (laughs) we're gonna like talk, talk a little bit more about sort of like well, we're going to talk about girl boss feminism finally, and what it is, and how it's you know how it exists within women's hockey, and where we see it, especially over the last year, like where we where we've seen this sort of like you know quote unquote girl boss feminism and why it's bad. But before we do that, we sh- it's time for some romance. Like we need to oh, absolutely give the people what they want. <laughs> so no warning for this one. It's very sweet and romantic. Don't, I don't see any reason why you'd want to skip ahead until the ad, but if you really want to, you can. I'm really excited about this. Spartacat was glad when his team ended their season series against Hunter's Edmonton Oilers. On the morning after the loss, Hunter showed up at Sparty's store, as he always did, and invited him on another walk. He didn't mention the game, and neither did Spartacat. They rarely talked about hockey on their dates. Sparty, who lived and breathed hockey and rarely thought of anything else, found that he liked it better this way. Other mascots had loved to gloat and talk shit and place bets on the games, and though Spartacat was a sen sicko at heart, he found that he didn't want silly on-ice rivalries to impact his budding romance with Hunter. Hunter, who visited Ottawa as often as he could, 
usually bearing a bouquet of flowers and the promise of a pleasant walk along the river. He even shared his stash of catnip with Sparty as often as he could, and Sparty was only too eager to return the favour. He lived for Hunter's short visits, and each letter that arrived in the mail did funny things to his heart. And yet, as the weeks dragged on and Hunter remained a perfect gentleman, he found himself doubting Hunter's intentions. Was he reading too much into this? Hunter cared so much about him. Why had he not made a move? After their walk, he lingered at the door, clearly reluctant to leave. Spartacat, so accustomed to being pursued, decided that this was his chance. Gathering all the courage he had, he pulled Hunter close and kissed him. They're so cute. This is my favorite. This is my favorite matchup for Spartacat. I think this is my favorite. It's very sweet. I'm enjoying it. I feel like it fits the pandemic vibe right now. This is all what we want. I know. Oh, God. It's, it's just so it's just so romantic. Beata wrote this one and it was like a perfect surprise for me and I love it. It was great. <laughs> Thank you. I'm so glad. Very good. All right. Are you ready to girl boss gatekeep? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yes, like gatekeep girl boss. <laughs> Got the three G. I'm so ready for this. Um, <laughs> I'm, I've been like wanting to talk to this about this for a while and Beata wrote like a wonderful um, article about this as well. So you know, Thank it's you. not not new to you, but I just thought it would be really helpful, I think, for people to get like a good, you know, sort of definition of, of what we're talking about and where we see this. So I'm going to start by identifying girl boss feminism in itself. It's sort of something that that is usually linked to Sheryl Sanders book, Lean In. Sheryl Sanders is like super high up in Facebook. And she sort of started this kind of like wave of, of well, I guess she was part of starting this like sort of wave of like corporate feminism, I guess you could call it. And basically the idea is that you like you're gaining success through self-improvement. She's the book Lean In is literally about like, you know, like being more dominant in your work and, and how you can work your way up. And there is certain parts of it that do make sense if you look at sort of enforced structures within the patriarchy, like that, you know, obviously there are more male CEOs and whatever. And um women tend to be a little bit more apologetic not as aggressive in business just because of the way that that you're raised and so basically her idea is like you have to be more aggressive you have to be less of a like you know neurotic perfectionist and you have to like make your voice heard which is like great if you can but you know we're not all working in like corporate America whatever um and her idea is that you know, this idea of success as, as women's liberation is tied to your position within work and your net worth, basically. Like the big success that you can have is to literally be a girl boss, to be like <laughs> the boss of a company or a CEO or a manager or whatever. And like she says in the book, how can I make the system work for me? And basically, this is such a good just sentence to identify the idea that you're not trying to structurally change the system. You're not trying to make things more accessible to women or to marginalized communities. Instead, you as one individual are trying to rise up among the ranks. So there's no working together or, or like solidarity among marginalized people. You know, the premise of Lean In is not to form a union. It's for yourself to advance through the ranks. So the ways I would sort of like very specifically identify this is to say, you know, first of all, you're basically changing yourself, not the system. And there's this very individualistic approach to women's liberation. 
you're just focusing on your own career, your, I, your definition of success is basically like a capitalist definition of it. So either your position within a company or within a business or, you know, like a, a corporate environment or your net worth or both. And then also the commodification of social justice. So Sheryl Sanders writing, Sandberg writing this book that um, became super, you know, became like a bestseller. Or I was reading this um, article by uh, Lee Steen that we'll also like tweet out, uh, which is a great sort of look into into um, girl boss feminism. And she also brings the wing co-working space, which was this really expensive co-working space just for women that had like Chanel products and whatever. You know, like a few years ago, there were all these like shirts that you could buy at H&M that said like, you know, the future is female, but these shirts are being made in sweatshops by primarily women in um, the global South. So whereas, you know, <laughs> the actual structural change in this does not exist. Um, I've also heard this referred to as trickle down feminism. So it's this idea that like the women who are already closest to the top, who already have the most power. So like white, able-bodied, cis, usually straight women, if we empower them, then they're going to, you know, extend those privileges to other people. And so we should focus on lifting up them um, instead of focusing on the the most marginalized people, right? And much like trickle-down economics, it doesn't actually work that way. Um, White women historically have never really opened the door for other women. I, I think that's it, right? It's all about breaking the glass ceiling. It's all about you advancing. It's not about creating a more equitable equitable system where you know like it's a you're still trying to go up within the hierarchy as opposed to actually like flattening the hierarchy you know putting things on a more even playing field steen had this quote in her article that i really liked uh where she said the white girl boss and so many of them were white sat at the unique intersection of oppression and privilege she saw gender inequity everywhere and she looked this gave her something to wage war against Racial inequity was never really on her radar. That was somebody else's problem to solve. And that's really what we were addressing before, where like in sort of this quest for women's liberation, other marginalized groups and other struggles are being put aside. So basically, like you're you're at this point where there's no solidarity within your movement and there's you lose the understanding of what other structural inequalities are. It becomes this really egoistical climb to the top. And it becomes very insidious as well because there's this narrative of victimization and also like empowerment this idea of like oh I'm being targeted for being a woman and I have you know I've had so many challenges as a woman which like it's true right if you're experiencing sexism like you're going to notice that a lot and a lot of girl bosses do experience a lot of sexism and misogyny and yet often they don't go any further than that. They'll just say like, oh, well, you can't criticize me because I'm a woman who is, you know, already receiving so much criticism. And yet, like, they're also making things worse for other people. And often they're not accepting that type of criticism. And your other people are expected to support and uplift those girl bosses, right? Those women who have already achieved a certain amount of power, even though they're not really trying to change the systems. Totally. Um, like Steen wrote in her in her essay that the people in power, and in this case, if like it's a woman who's risen to the top or a woman who woman CEO or a woman who started a company, they also then get to define how feminism is defined within their company. 
and oftentimes it benefits them and <laughs> not many others and especially not other marginalized people. And the final thing about this that sort of is um, important when you're looking at a product like the MWHL is that it creates this like woke capitalism. So, you know, a, a company where they're saying, oh, we have a female CEO or whatever, and it's like this woke quote unquote product and Gen Z and millennials are a lot more conscious about what we consider being ethical consumers. You know, there is the meme where people always say like, there's no ethical consumption under capitalism and it's sort of true. <laughs> and so, you know, there's so much marketing value in putting out like last year during the big BLM protests, you know, all of these corporations putting out um, statements supporting Black Lives Matter, but there's no real concrete action but, you know, you, you look good. It's a marketing opportunity. You can say, oh, well, you know, that's a woke company. So we're going to buy their shit. So, yeah, I, I think that's like a good definition of, of what we're dealing with. And then I, I'm just going to briefly sort of name where we've seen this in women's hockey, specifically in the NWHL, mostly uh, over the over the past year, I guess. And then we're going to delve deeper into these specific issues. So the first one will be, uh, I said, you know, you're changing yourself or, you know, liberation through self-help quote-unquote and you're not changing the system we see this for example in the association with Erica Nardini or Erica Nardini you know referring to herself as like one of the greatest you know supporters of women's hockey and basketball can't be sexist because they have the female CEO and she's obviously like had a tough skin I guess in her job where she's risen to the top of a company that is in itself misogynistic I think you have to sort of overlook a lot of shit as a woman to have that position. The other thing I said was the commodification of social justice. Thinking, for example, about the end racism patches that everybody on the NWHL had on their jerseys. And at the beginning of the season, Angelica Rodriguez um, at the Ice Garden wrote like a brief article about it just being like, you know, it's a beginning, but as a woman of color, I don't really think that there's much to it unless there's, you know, something that they're actually yeah. doing with it aside from just these patches. There was also the um, thing where Madison Packer, who is the captain of the Riveters, announced that she was going to be wearing these shoes that had like statements about Black Lives Matter. I forget what exactly what it was, but it was something about Black Lives said, Matter like, was on the shoes. They said like end racism. And yeah. then they had pictures of, I think there was like, I can't remember who, I think there was like a, one of them had like a picture of Rosa Parks or something on it. <laughs> yeah. And basically a bunch of women of color on Twitter saw that and called her out on it because in many cultures, it's extremely disrespectful to put people on your feet. I actually didn't know this, but I, I learned about this through this controversy um, that a lot of people saw that and said, well, it looks like you are disrespecting women of color and you're disrespecting the like anti-racist movement and this isn't helping anyone this is actually kind of offensive and what Madison Packer did was that she blocked a bunch of people and I think she continued to wear the shoes so that's clearly a thing where she's like you know she's doing it to I mean I'm not inside her head I don't know what her thought process is but it looks like she's doing this to make herself seem like an activist right and yet when people say, actually, this isn't a very good way to be doing your activism, she just kind of lashes out or ignores them. So it's the, the goal there is more her image than actually doing the work. Uh, yeah, I believe in this case, the shoes were auctioned off and they all were supposed to be auctioned off and the pro proceeds were supposed to go to Black Girl Hockey Club. I don't know what ended up with that, but 
in itself, that's a, a good idea and actually something that would benefit an organization. But in those situations, you know, you can't just be like, oh, I'm being a champion for racial equality and I'm, you know, benefiting this organization, but then not actually listen to people of color when they say, mm, actually, this is pretty yikes. You know, like we, you know, in that situation, you could just say, oh, this was like, you know, my bad. I didn't know. Um, I'm going to do something else to help benefit the organization. But, you know, and then the final thing that, you know, I'd sort of said was that there's this capitalist definition of success and liberation. And I think we, we think that a woman being a professional athlete and like a professional hockey player in itself is already sort of this picture of liberation. But a lot of these athletes are making terrible money. I don't like there's not much money. The benefits suck. You know, you, you're basically forcing yourself into um, working a job that is a lot of effort for a shit salary. And then we do, like, people who report on the NWHL and fans are very big on, like, hyping when you get sponsorship deals or TV deals, which technically could be a really good sign for the advancement of the league. But that doesn't mean that it's, like, an advancement in feminism. <laughs> or in women's liberation necessarily um so those are like the sort of points where I just wanted to say like this definitely exists within the NWHL and within women's hockey yeah and I'd even say like even in men's hockey media there's often and, and I notice this more now that a lot of white women are getting jobs in hockey media and stuff there's sort of this attitude of like white women saying oh it's so revolutionary that I am like a woman in sports and this like women in sports sort of identity right and um again this like victim narrative where you're like oh I've had to overcome so much and it's so revolutionary for me to even be in this space and like I don't want to take away from the challenges that a lot of white women do face in hockey media like obviously you get tons of shit like it's awful but when you are trying to kind of build this identity as like an activist for women's rights or this like you know badass like girl boss who's you know taking up space in hockey culture and all that like you do have a responsibility to make sure that you are actually doing work to help women other than just yourself right because I think that a lot of people need to realize that one white woman existing in hockey culture isn't automatically a win for all white women it's not necessarily changing hockey culture in a big way right and if you're not pushing to change hockey culture in a significant way for people who are less privileged than yourself then it looks bad if you start taking on that like identity as an activist if that makes sense totally I think um you have a really good point there we always say you know like representation matters and representation does matter but it's representation on its own is not going to change systems. Representation on its own, you know, you can mold people to the system <laughs> in those cases. And, and, you know, having like a person of color or a woman um, or a queer person in a position of power is good because it in, in like it involves these voices in, um, in different organizations and whatever but in itself, it does not change the system. It doesn't make a huge difference. And and that's the issue, I think. I think we focus so much on representation and on optics and we don't 
focus on actually doing work that would benefit people and like make the lives of many marginalized people better and also I think there's this as you said this like victim complex of you know white women especially being like yeah you, you go through shit you know you, you do experience sexism but it's not just about your struggle you know what I mean like and yeah and like you know I don't want to I, I know that a lot of white women in sports get a lot of hate from multiple different sides right because they're getting hate from the men in the industry and they're also getting hate from people on Twitter who are angry that they're not doing enough for social justice and I don't want to like you know pile on these women because I know that they they have a difficult job and I'm not saying well I don't know I just think that like either you can take up space in sports and acknowledge that you're still that you that you're still not changing everything about hockey culture like you can either own that or well I think you have to own that either way and you can either decide not to change hockey culture or you can actively work to change hockey culture but what a lot of these women are doing is gaining access to that space and then acting like that in itself is revolutionary and also there's this demand for a lot of other people to be really excited or grateful about that or you know to not ask for any more which just kind of serves to silence the voices of less privileged people like Poppy and I have recently um, received some messages from men who will say like you know this is why your podcast sucks and here's how you can improve on your podcast and we'll preface it with like well, I am such a big supporter in women as, of women in sports because I support these amazing women who are constantly, you know, facing so much harassment. And like, it's, it's so amazing of me to be supportive of these specific women, right? It, it kind of, it allows people to latch on to, well, it allows people to just support one type of women and act like that is feminism, right? Like Dave Portnoy standing behind Erica Nardini, that's a feminism because he's standing up for a woman, right? Yeah, and I think it's important to note that cis white women in sports occasionally deserve to be piled on by marginalized communities. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Like, I, <laughs> I'm not gonna, let's not beat around the bush there. That is absolutely true. Yeah, I, like I, they do tend to get more of it than white men, possibly because the expectations are higher, in large part because of the way that they will often talk about this. You see a lot of women being like, I am this activist and I'm all in support of more diversity in sports workplaces. And then once they get called out, they get defensive, right? Yeah, that that's it, right? Like that's definitely it. I think I think you have to own your shit basically uh, as somebody. And, you know, like um, I, I think you have like a really good point there. Like people love to have a specific type of woman that they can look up to and she's good and she's got the good shit going on right but it actually can be harmful to to other people within I guess in this case sports but in general like um, whatever community or business or working environment or whatever you're in idealizing one specific type of woman is completely counterproductive and I think I think the thing that is really important here and the thing that we're addressing is that women need to own their shit like we need to basically be like okay we're not just going to pay lip service we're not just going to say like you know um black lives matter and then or end racism and then not do anything about it and that's the problem the problem is paying lip service and then just being quiet when it actually matters or not you know 
doing the thing <laughs> when you need to be supporting and uplifting other people. And that kind of like, you know, when we like start, as you were, were pointing out, like this sort of like uplifting of Erica Nardini, for example, as like the ultimate, you know, woman who can take a joke and she's funny and she's the CEO of this huge sports media company. And, and you get to the point where like, you know, first of all, she's like trying to create like a women's hockey league and she's getting like support, quote unquote, although it's not going very well. Like they've had one game and it, it, it wasn't just women's athletes. <laughs> so, you know, I don't know how well that's going for them. But in, in that situation, you know, when Barstool was, for example, attacking Soroya Tinka and was attacking women who report on the NWHL um, they, they didn't support a lot of the people, for example, on uh, the Riveters, didn't support Soroya Tinker. They sided with Barstool. And then what's the point? What's the point of you wearing your end racism badge when you side with Dave Portnoy, notorious for constantly using the N-word and making racist jokes over Soroya Tinker, your Black teammate? Then you're just, you know, you shit the bed. You, you didn't do the right thing in that situation or when uh, the pwhpa started sharing clips of like players in the pwhpa were sharing clips of jeremy Vronick, who we've talked about in the past because he went off about on spitting chiclets i believe about how he he just like sexualized his co-worker like to an extent that was you know, literally just basically being like, she was wearing a bikini and I wanted to fuck her, which is such an uncomfortable thing. And he deserved to lose his job I, over it. I think I also mentioned how like when he was a judge on Battle of the Blades, he once like really like sexualized um, Tessa Bonham, just like on national television as a judge on Battle of the Blades. And it was so uncomfortable and just never addressed. There's so much stuff like that with him. Exactly. And then, you know, like he has this history of sexualizing women, like completely shamelessly sexualizing female athletes. And then on his like podcast or whatever, he's like, oh, yay, there's like a televised PWHPA game. This rocks, which, you know, it does rock. And then players being like, thank you, Jeremy, like reposting it, being like, thanks for highlighting us. It's like, no, in those cases, you just have to ignore it you know you don't want to associate with these people but they will because it's the idea of like well we're advancing our sport that's always the argument with Barstool as well we need Barstool to advance the NWHR no we don't like we're just creating a shitty system by doing that yeah, there's well, other ways to advance it's advancing your within the existing hockey culture instead of creating a new different hockey culture right and that's it and that's what like you know this like enforcement of the, of the male field that you're in but the women are succeeding in it some women are succeeding in it not all women in this if you replicate this like shitty structure not all women will succeed in it just doesn't work but you know the white women who get more clout who have more power the white women who have the money that they can afford to play for the NWHL um, without you know having to worry too much because you're not making that much money, right? You don't have that good of an income. The people who can afford to play in the NWHL, who are primarily white, <laughs> um, uh, can then advance within the system without being piled on because they, you know, they're the good girls for in the eyes of like 
basically this like male dominated audience and it's it's just like so frustrating to to see this and and that's what i'm saying about like this commodification of social issues as well the end racism patches the fucking end racism patches but then not being standing behind soraya tinker what is that like it's so stupid or you know erica nardini's i think she did some much for like the quote-unquote boss WHL that was like skate like a girl like okay or like posting shit being like skate like a girl like yeah cool women's athletes can be good you know women can be good athletes but you're still within a company that is constantly sexualizing and like commodifying the female body and you know making really sexist remarks and making really racist remarks but you're selling much well great thank you so much for selling your much and then now recently these like hollow statements on trans inclusion because they know if they don't put out a statement you're losing a huge chunk of your of your fan base you're losing basically your income it's going to be a bad marketing decision for you if you don't tweet trans rights are human rights but are you actually going to do something about it or are we going to see them wearing like bracelets next season that say trans rights are human rights what's the point you know like how does this really advance the conversation or even not just advance the conversation because we don't just have to have conversations. We have to like do things as well. There needs to be action behind it. Mm-hmm, definitely. Sorry, I like really went off there. No, that's okay. <laughs> it's great. I've just been like, it's been like pent up. I'm like ready to like rant about it. And it's just, it, it's that. It's at the at the end of it, it's this complete lack of focus on concrete structural change. Mm-hmm. There's no, you know, why is, first of all, not to bring up Soraya Tinker all the time, but this is like a prime example for what's happening. Why is Soraya Tinker the first person who had to say, we don't need Barstool? Why is she the first person who put out a statement saying, we don't need Barstool? And then is like, also not getting support from all of her teammates that in itself fucked up and then also like Soroya Tinka is con- had throughout the season consistently been working with the Black Girl Hockey Club to raise funds other athletes weren't doing that you're wearing your end race some patches some of them are kneeling during the national anthem but aside from that like what are you doing sending some tweets like you need to even if as I say like the players don't necessarily have as much clout or as much funding as they should do as professional athletes, they still have a level of power, especially the more established white players that they should be doing something with. And Madison Packer like truly fucked up, but it, <laughs> like in that situation, she should have just, admi- sorry, my cat just jumped off something. She should have admitted wrongdoing and like done better, but a lot of other white athletes didn't do anything. And that sucks. Like, that's mm-hmm. shitty as well. And I know um, that it it seems like we're being harder on women's hockey than on men's hockey. And I think we are, but it's because we've gotten so used to this with men's hockey and women's hockey is, like, they're just building a fan base right now, you know? Like, they're, it's so much is happening right now and it's really disappointing to see them trying to replicate this culture that we are like so eager to leave behind with men's hockey culture right because yeah like with the Toronto Six you know I had to go through when all that stuff happened I I, you know and it happens 
during the playoffs with all of that stuff with Barstool as well, where I was like, can I support this organization anymore? And then going, well, you know, it's not like there are other organizations that are much better. And like my presence in hockey fandom, hopefully can be a good thing. You know, it's kind of privileged to just be like, oh, I'm going to leave this culture and like, you know, (laughs) leave other people to suffer in it right which is exactly the same stuff that I've had to go through time and time again with NHL fandom right and it's just really disheartening to have to go through that again with the NWHL when it feels like I shouldn't have to yeah I totally get that it's like frustrating at the end of the day I constantly say you know sports should be entertaining that's the whole point of sports they're literally there to entertain us but there's all of this stuff that affects people's lives and replicates like oppressive structures and normalizes them you can't just not address it you can't just like go about your day and be like oh it's okay it's just entertainment because it's not and and it would be facetious of us to just be like well just enjoy it like just stand the Toronto Six whatever Mm -hmm. without any kind of criticism and I also think that a part of enjoying something and loving something is also being critical of it and being like okay we need to do better What's the point of me enjoying something when other people can't, you know? Mm-hmm. It, it sucks. <laughs> and I think then like the last thing that it, it was so frustrating and so like the, this, I, this basically this lack of understanding of trans issues or this lack of willingness to understand trans issues mm-hmm. that really popped out <laughs> this week. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like, why is the women's sports policy working group IDing trans women as essentially male? Mm-hmm. You're you're essentially saying we see trans women as men. I'm so sorry, my dog just yawned in the background. <laughs> um, you know, like why are you assuming that assigned male at birth folks are automatically better at any sport, at literally any sport? And there's this amazing article by Andrew for um, the Victory Press. It's like from 2017, but it's, you know, mm-hmm. it's something I come back to and all the time. Yeah, if you go on the Victory Press and just search like the tag, like uh, trans issues, or I forget exactly what it was, Andrew has written a whole bunch of stuff that's all incredible. And I would highly recommend checking that out. Yeah, and like this one, it's called How Cultural Perceptions About Testosterone Rig Sports Against Trans Athletes. Mm-hmm. It's something I come back to over and over and over again. because there's this misunderstanding that having higher levels of testosterone automatically make you better at any sport, literally any sport, regardless of your physique, regardless of how you were trained, regardless of what you had access to as a young athlete, you know, having having been assigned male at birth automatically apparently makes you a better athlete. And it's just not accurate, first of all. In like you know, the sort of research that there is, and Caitlin Burns also mentions mm-hmm. this in her article, athletes who start going on on, um, on HRT, on hormone replacement therapy, oftentimes will actually lose some of their like mm-hmm. physical strength or athletic ability. But that doesn't, you know, it, there's other factors that yeah. go into yeah. athleticism. And she points this out as well. Like there's so much that, that is different. And Andrew also points out that like historically we see testosterone as a thing because it's also been used in doping. Mm-hmm. But there's a difference between between a cis man using testosterone and a trans man using testosterone. Mm-hmm. There's like, you know, 
<laughs> you're getting to a different level and it's just like not really you know understood very well you're always coming back to this completely unproven benefit of testosterone you know and it's just so frustrating and I also think like a huge thing is as we pointed out the quote-unquote fairness of whether or not trans athletes should compete is constantly being debated by cis people mm-hmm. well, I guess, and like oh, sorry and it's always it always centers around what's best for cis women in sports mm-hmm. and there's so little attention being paid to what's best for the actual trans athletes who are affected by this like people acknowledge that you know kids getting into sports are good sports are generally good for you there is a lot there are lots of benefits to this and that you know cis women deserve to be able to compete in sports and yet people aren't aren't like extending that to trans athletes and that's yeah again like a big issue that I've noticed in all of this where it's like why why are you so focused on protecting the cis women and you're not extending any of that same concern to trans athletes I think there's like this inherent transphobia in it as well where like you always hear this you hear if a trans woman competes in women's sports like the women's this like sports policy working group or whatever that Digit Murphy um had supported they are basically saying like you can be a trans woman in sports unless you're good at it in which case you're a dis- you are at an unfair advantage so you can compete but you can't be good mm-hmm. and <laughs> there's always this idea if you're a trans woman you automatically must be better than all the other like this mm-hmm. all the other than all, all cis women in your sport vice versa oftentimes a thing you hear is oh if a trans man joined a male hockey league you know he must be he must be physically smaller than all the other players Mm -hmm. and therefore he cannot handle it you're honestly applying ideas of what you think women are Mm -hmm. to a trans man first of all second of all we have tiny hockey players we have tiny cis man hockey players all the time they're just really fast and we also (laughs) have really tall hockey players who are useless i'm sorry like if you were watching the Ottawa Senators during the era of Jared Cowan and Jean-Gabriel Pajot, you know that height does not automatically correlate to success in hockey. No, it's just like, there's, it's just like not logical if you actually think about it for a hot second. And it is really rooted in like a very, A, like very specific idea what person of a specific sex look like and what their Mm -hmm. skills are which is kind of sexist, my guys, and B, always, always associating someone with the sex that they were assigned at birth, mm-hmm. which is transphobic. And so, you're, you know, you have to, like, get this out of your brain in order to actually, like, look at the situation. And finally, like, a thing that Andrew pointed out, which I thought was really important, because we can talk about this all the time. We can talk about the science behind, like, what testosterone actually does. We can talk about, like, the science behind the fact that everybody has different bodies regardless the fact that some women have high levels of testosterone and some men have lower levels of testosterone mm-hmm. but at the end of the day we should be supporting people competing in their sports because trans women are women and mm-hmm. trans men are men and they should be allowed to compete within their teams and if they want to play co-ed that's fine mm-hmm. and finally like if you think about it remember when they had like the skill competition where they the NHL like yeah and a bunch of the women's hockey players won right 
exactly it's like okay so you know how do you how do you explain that mm-hmm. <laughs> you know like how do you explain that it doesn't make any sense if you actually look at the facts mm-hmm. and you know this is the thing like it's so it's such a stupid conversation because we're we're just not looking at it in in a way that's a realistic and be actually empathetic to trans people mm-hmm. that's the problem at the end of the day we shouldn't even have to have this conversation <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i think it's important that we have it mm-hmm. i think it's really important that we bring up the fact that this is really prevalent within women's sports and within women's hockey mm-hmm. but it's also like you know it, it's one of those things where it's like that's so fucking frustrating that we're yeah. talking about this now and once um, again, like we will link um, articles that explain this better than we do. And I'm, I'm very sorry that, you know, there's another podcast out there of cis people discussing trans issues, but I, I know that a lot of our listeners aren't that well educated on this. And I feel like we have a certain amount of responsibility to talk about this issue um, in a way that's well-researched and well-informed. And again, if we messed up somewhere, please let us know. Uh, yeah. Okay. I think it would be facetious of us to be like, oh, women in the NWHL or whatever have to use their platform to talk about certain things, to educate, mm-hmm. to put their money where their mouths are, whatever, whatever. And then for us, even <laughs> though, you know, like, do we have a massive listenership? No, mm-hmm. but like, you know, for the like, what, between 400 and 600 people that download this podcast, to have the opportunity to hear this. And maybe, you know, cause this is like, technically an Ottawa Senators podcast maybe this isn't maybe this isn't something that you yourself would have sought out Mm -hmm. but you're listening to now and if anyone got like a better idea of what the issue is and if we can point them in the direction of people who are really really knowledgeable and and I also think like we did make an effort to use resources by Mm -hmm. trans writers here um if we can amplify that in our like small little niche then that's worth it you know like Mm -hmm. it would be shitty if it's not to definitely so coming to an end of this like episode that I'm very excited we did but I feel like you guys are gonna want me to shut up for another month (laughs) Um, (laughs) this is why we can't record every week it's too much for people (laughs) god you guys no I'm like I'm pretty proud of what we're doing here I think it's good that you will know we're having this conversation but I think it's I think it, a reasonable thing would be to award Big Rick Energy this year, uh, this year, I guess, but this week, <laughs> Basically, you know, <laughs> I mean, forever and ever she can have it is um, Jessica Platt, because I think, I think sharing the state, like this basically info about um, Digit Murphy's involvement in the organization and saying like, this is my experience. I wanted to play for the six. And now I don't know if I was rejected because I'm trans or because I'm a mediocre athlete, which I think is in itself like, a strong fun thing to admit that you're like "Mm," you know Mm -hmm. my performance has been like subpar at times I think that was a really vulnerable thing to share and I also think it really humanized the situation Mm -hmm. and we shouldn't rely on trans people having to share situations in which they've been mistreated in order to understand Mm -hmm. the situation but I think that it was big of her to do it I think she um she didn't have to and I think it just like put a little mm-hmm. you know a little more pressure also on because she is like an established hockey player I, I think it put a little bit more weight behind the issue and the fact that this is something that 
people are paying attention to now. Yeah, um, definitely. I think that's really cool. And also just like, you know, being a woman in sports, good for her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> She's awesome. Great follow on Twitter. Yeah, she rules. Um, All right. So on that note, thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Samelnik in Life. You can find us on Twitter at Amelnik in Life and our personal accounts are tagged there. Although we're both on private now, you can request to follow us. We will always accept that request. Or you can email us at thisamelnikinlife at gmail.com. Our music is by Steve Frouse and our logo is by Lena Nove and Angus Fitzgerald Clark. For bonus content, please find us at patreon.com slash thisamelnikinlife. You can also find our merch at our Spreadshirt shop that is all linked in our Twitter bio. Um, And of course, you can subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts. And please rate and review us on iTunes and then let us know if you do that so that you can get an amazing fridge magnet that Poppy has made. I'm very excited about that. All right. (laughs) Thanks so much for listening. Bye.